What's up, Lamb Fam? Welcome back to the Life After Miscarriage podcast, where we unapologetically chat the ins and outs of what life is actually like after miscarriage. I'm your host, Shelly Metling, and with four angel babies myself and one rainbow baby here on earth, I have created a platform for you guys to share your stories. So sit back, relax, get ready to relate, laugh, and cry as we get real on what life is actually like after miscarriage in the 21st century. Sorry to interrupt today's episode, but it's about time that our men do some of the work here. Am I right or am I right? I mean, come on. They always get to be a part of the fun aspect of TTC, but Belly Men Vitality Multivitamin provides men with the right nutrients optimized for reproductive and sperm health with some amazing bonus benefits of energy, balance, and overall wellness. Belly's proprietary Vitality Blend provides powerful nutrients that can increase sperm count, protect sperm while they grow, improve sperm quality, improve egg penetration, balance acid alkaline in the body to help sperm survive and work properly, boost energy, and improve cellular health. So if your man's already taking a multivitamin, might as well get him on a sperm-enhancing multivitamin, and I don't think that he's going to fight you on that. So grab your Belly Men Vitality Multivitamin using the link in the description of this episode. Now let's get into today's story. Hello, everyone. We have Mindy Van D. Castle. I'm so excited to get to know a little bit more about her. We actually realized that we live fairly close to each other, so that's kind of cool. But Mindy, I'm just going to toss it to you. Start wherever you'd like with your story. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for having me. Um, I really hope my intention for this is that um, I have connected kind of virtually with several women from your podcast, and I just hope that um, this can be a touch point for other mamas that are struggling too. Um, Yeah, so my name's Mindy. Um, I'm married to James, my husband. Um, We've been married for 14 years, Um, been together for like 18 or 19 years. We do have three children. We have an 11-year-old daughter an eight-year-old son and a six-year-old son. Um, And so sort of our journey with this um, baby that we lost um, started, our youngest is six right now, and when he was probably two or three, you know, up until that point, I had, um, I really had kind of enough going on in my life. I was working full-time as a nurse and, you know, the three kids, the oldest one, she wasn't even five when the little one was born. And um, my boys never slept really good. And so I was just really tired and couldn't think about having any more kids. Um, but then when the little one, he was like two or three years old, I kind of was like feeling that itch. Maybe we should have another baby. Um, so I like bring it up with James and he's just, um, you know, was kind of resistant to it. And so we kind of played this like um, back and forth game from, you know, maybe like 2016, 2017 until last summer. So the summer of 2019, you know, I would, I want a baby. He doesn't want a baby. I want, you know, and then I decide, okay, well, I guess like, it's just not in the cards for us. And then he kind of like out of nowhere last summer says, you know what, honey, like, I think we really should go for number four. I've really been feeling strongly that if that's what you want, then I'm here to support you. Well, let's do this and everything. So I thought, oh, okay, that's great. So super excited about that. We were really, everyone, um, like, you know, my close friends and stuff were really excited for us. So I had an IUD in, um, 
it took two appointments to get that out because I guess it was in there really well. Um, but I finally get that out. Um, we start trying sort of late in 2019, maybe like October, November, something like that of last year. Um, trying, trying, it's just not working, which I know a lot of women try for a lot longer, but I think when you want something, it's hard to wait. Um, so anyway, um, come January, I sort of just had this feeling that maybe that was our month. And so I take a test in January. I do get really sick when I'm pregnant. And so even before the test, I could just tell because I was not feeling well, I was nauseous. I get this really like awful taste in my mouth. And so I take the test, it's positive, you know, we're elated. I'm telling like all of my close girlfriends, um, James is really excited. So we're like, okay, this is like all three of my other pregnancies went fine, no problems. Like this, like I just had no expectation that this would be any different than my first three. And, um, you know, we got the due date in October. It was going to be within a couple of days of James's birthday. Um, and one of the, my mother-in-law and all that through so we just really excited about it. And, um, so the rest of January passes, I'm really nauseous, I'm really sick, I'm not feeling well, you know, it's the middle of winter, we live in Minnesota. Um, and so, you know, January and February are just hard anyway, but I'm feeling really crummy I'm on the couch a lot. I just, you know, which I knew was coming, that's what happened with my other um, three pregnancies before this one. And so I knew that that's what to expect, but it's just really, when you're in it, it's just really hard. It's like this fog you can't get out of. And so we go, through January, February, we come into March and, um, you know, then COVID like is starting to like rumble sort of like from China and coming in and that's making me a little nervous, but okay. still kind of like far enough off. And, um, then it's coming around to my youngest birthday is March 19. And so we kind of birthdays are kind of a big deal in our house. Um, for my kids and so like okay I have something kind of like to rally around even though I'm like feeling kind of crummy and stuff and so um kind of the night before his birthday you know we like put him to bed he's so excited to wake up and be six and everything and okay we do all that and I get ready for bed and I go to the bathroom the like right before I come in the bedroom to like you know go to sleep and um I wipe and the you know, I don't usually like look at the toilet paper, right? But um, so I look and it's like kind of like this rusty, like red color on it, just like a couple of drops of blood. And I thought, well, that's strange. Like I instantly kind of like panicked, but then, you know, I finished up coming in the bedroom and James is in bed and I say, oh, I like had this blood on the toilet paper and like, I don't know, like, and he goes, well, remember with, um, you know, our daughter, like back, several years ago, I remember you had some bleeding like early on and, um, you know, it's not a big deal. And I was like, yeah, that's probably what it is. So I sort of just like brush it off. And with her, you know, I'd went in for this like ultrasound and they thought that, um, she was a twin and, um, the other one, um, you know, it maybe like we had maybe lost that baby, but they weren't sure. And so he's like, maybe that's like, it's something like what happened with her. And it's like, oh, okay, fine. So I go to bed, sleep fine, get up the next morning. You know, I just think, well, life is as normal, which one should never think that. But anyway, <laughs> um, and so we have this tradition. We live um, about a block and a half from a bakery and um, on the kids' birthdays, we get up 
early and one of us goes and gets donuts and we bring them back and we have donuts for breakfast and we put candles on them and it's like this big fun thing. So we get up, James went to go get the donuts. We're like at the, I just have like my jammies and my robe on and we're sitting at the table and um, we're just having the donuts and we're singing happy birthday. And, you know, I'm feeling like really crummy but I'm trying to like rally and like, you know, feel good for him for his birthday and stuff. And so we kind of finished that up and I stand up to like, you know, walk across the kitchen or something. And um, James is like, babe, I'm like what and he's like look at your robe and I'm so then I kind of like look down like between my legs and like oh my god like I didn't like something felt like kind of strange but it was like I didn't like put two and two together so I looked down and on the back of my robe there's probably like a six inch circle of like bright red blood and I'm like oh my god and I instantly like start to panic I'm kind of an anxious person to begin with so I'm kind of like panicking, but I'm also a nurse. So I just go into this, like, don't panic. We can like take care of this. There's, there must be like some reason that this is happening. Like, um, and so I said, oh, I just like forgot everything about like the kids and his birthday and stuff. And I like go into the bathroom, like get my phone. We need to call the midwife. We had kind of um, sort of, it was still like, early enough on that I hadn't um, been in to see the midwife. And so I would have been like around 11 weeks by this point. Um, and because of COVID and everything, they were changing all their policies. So we had done like a virtual visit, just kind of like intake thing. Cause I was going to go to a local birth center and I was new there. So we had just done that, but I hadn't actually gone in to like see them really and so I sort of like had a relationship with them but not really but anyway so James like grabs my phone I like get in the shower you know there's kind of like some like blood trickling out a little bit but I'm like well there must be like a really big there must be a reason for this that's like solvable like we'll just call the midwife and she'll know what to do so I um, call and um, you know Paige like they weren't it was early enough in the morning that I guess they like weren't in the office yet or something. So I like send this voice page to her and she calls me back maybe 20, 25 minutes later or something like that. And she's very apologetic and she's like, I'm sorry. Um, your message came as I was driving into the clinic. Um, and they don't like to call clients when I'm on the road and stuff like that. Okay. So fine. So I talk to her and I tell her what's going on at this point. I was not having any pain. It was just this bleeding. It didn't hurt. And so I thought, so she said, well, you know, we don't, we won't really know what's going on unless you go in and have an ultrasound. So I say, okay, great. That's like an action plan. It's like something I can do. And like she said, then we'll just check and make sure that everything is all right. You know, everything's probably fine, but it's just like a, let's have you go in. Um, and I said, okay. And so she's like, I'll hang up. I'll call the um, because it's a freestanding birth center, they don't have like an ultrasound tech there all the time type of thing. And so um, she said, we work with this other like um, place. And so she calls and gets that all set up and she calls me back and gives me the number and call these people and make your appointment to go in at your earliest convenience today. And then when the report comes back, I'll call you and I'll let you know what's going on and we'll make a plan from there. So I said, okay, so I hang up with her immediately called ultrasound place. I tell them, you know, I have this, um, 
appointment to get an ultrasound. Um, I'd like to get in as soon as possible. So she said, okay, well, let me um, just take down your information and confirm all this. And so she does all that and she's kind of like going through the times and that are available. And um, so we like pick a time, I don't even remember when it was. And um, then she said, well, um, you know, we've just started, this was at the beginning of sort of like when COVID was coming into Minnesota here in the States. And um, she said, I just have some screening questions for you. You know, do you have a fever? Do you have, you know, like all these like different COVID screening questions? Well, she gets to the one about a cough and I did have a bit of a cough. It was not COVID, I didn't have COVID, but um, I was like, well, I don't want to lie to her. Like I do have a cough. One of my kids had um, like come home from school with a cold and I had got like a mild form of it. And um, you know, it was at the end of sort of like this two week cold, but I had like this cough, like every once in a while, just like a little bit, not too bad. But so I tell her, you know, I do have this little bit of a cough, but I don't have a fever and I'm anything else. And she said, like, she immediately just was like, oh, well, you're you won't be able to come in. We cannot take anyone with any like symptoms of COVID. And I was like, well, you, I don't know if you can see, but like on the order, like the reason that I'm coming in is to like make sure that this pregnancy is viable. And she's like, I understand that ma'am, but um, you cannot come in with a cough. Um, you know, it's just against our new policy that we just instituted a couple of days ago, blah, blah, blah. And so I said, well, so what should I do? And she's like, I don't know. And she was just kind of like cold and um, just sort of unfriendly. And she's like, but you can't come in here. I suggest you call your midwife back and make a different plan. I'm like, okay. So then I, that I think was the first sort of like incline in my gut that like, okay, this is maybe going to be more of a journey than perhaps what I thought it was, you know, an hour or two before that. So I called the midwife back um, and she says, oh, okay, I didn't realize that um, they had instituted that protocol because I had told her I had a little bit of a cough and whatever. Um, so she said, well, you have two options. You can either go to the ER um, and then tell them what's going on and they'll, you know, very likely perform an ultrasound there and then we could make a plan from there or we could just wait and see. And she's like, my advice is you just, you know, the bleeding had stopped by this point. I was not having any pain, feeling kind of like normal otherwise. And so we just, she's like, if you go into the ER, you know, it's like, who knows who could be there with COVID, you know, we didn't know what we know now about COVID. And back then, you know, it seemed very like scary and um, very unknown. And so we just decided, okay, the best plan is just to wait and see. And so we do that. I go on with the day. By this point, it's probably late morning. Um, go on with the day, try and make um, something out of, you know, my son's birthday that day. I don't even remember what we did. I think my head was just not um, present anymore, really. So we go on with that day, go to bed. You know, I have like maybe a little bit of spotting that day. Go to bed. Nothing like really eventful overnight. I wake up and the midwife said, well, why don't you call me, you know, if you don't need to call me before today, why don't you call me in the morning and we'll just do a check-in. Okay, that's fine. So I wake up, give her a call and I woke up and I started spot, I was spotting like a little bit more and she um, 
called her and we, well, what should we do? And I said, you know, I'm just not feeling great. I feel kind of off. Like, I don't know what's going on and I'm getting really anxious. I really would like to, you know, find out, like, I just want to like hear the heartbeat and, um, have you like checked me out and all that? And she's like, well, you know, we have really strict precautions at the birth center because of COVID and all of this. So we settle on finally after this long conversation um, that sometime, I think it was about, we settled on like three o'clock in the afternoon or something like that, that we would come to the birth center because they had a woman, another mama that was in labor there um, at the time. And she thought that she would have delivered by then and they would have the midwife that was already there could see me quickly before she sort of like wrapped up and went home. Okay, that's fine. So we decide, okay, we'll just see you there at three. And so hang up with her, go on with my day. And as the day progressed, I just started to have like kind of a little bit of cramping and then a lot of cramping. And then I'm like, this is like not normal. Something is going on. And I think at that point, I think my heart just knew that this was not, um, you know, I think I knew what was going on. And so I eventually, you know, like around one, two o'clock, I'm like, James, something, I don't know, like something is really going on. And he's like, well, we're going to go see the midwife. And okay. So I'm on the bed, like in the fetal position and sorry, I'm like choking up a little bit. Um, and so I'm like, some, like, I have never had this pain before. Like, this is not normal. And, and he's like, well, why don't you get in the bathtub and like take a hot shower and like lay in the bathtub? It's probably just, you know, I don't know. We didn't know, but he's just trying to come up with something to like help me feel better. And my kids are sort of like getting this like sense that something's wrong with mom. Like she's usually like up and about and doing stuff, but you know, I could hear them asking James, like, why is mommy in the bathtub? You know, it's, it's lunchtime, you know, stuff like that. And, um, so, and I was like Googling like crazy, which is really the dumbest thing to do, but, um, like, oh, what could it be? And the midwife all along had saying, well, it could be, um, uh, this thing called a subchorionic hemorrhage, I think. And, um, so she said, you know, sometimes those are not a big deal and, you know, let's just hope that that's what it is. Don't put your, you know, cart before the horse type of thing until we know, like, let's not just assume the worst and stuff. So eventually we decide, okay, we should, I said, I want to get to the birth center kind of early. Um, so let's leave. So it's maybe a little after two, but it's only like 20 minutes away. Right. So, um, we have to take the kids with us because, you know, they're not old enough to stay home. So we all like get in our minivan and we're heading there. And I could barely, it was like I was in labor almost. I could barely get out the door. James like gets the kids all situated in the van. He comes back into the house and like helps me. Like I'm holding his hands, like walking out to the van and I get in and we get maybe five, 10 minutes down the road and like the pain just is like exponentially worse, like double, triple, quadruple what it was. I'm in like the front seat and I'm panicking by this point and I'm telling James, like, 
we cannot go to the midwife. I don't think they can handle whatever is going on. I don't think they have stuff there. Like if this is like an emergency or something, they're not going to be able to handle this. Right. And so I'm like doing like a reverse plank in the front seat of our van because it's hurting so bad. Like the cramping was so intense. And I think me having sort of like this little panic attack, which I'm kind of prone to anyway, is like adding into it. And so I finally tell him we're on the um, highway and I tell him, we cannot go to the midwife. You have to take me to the ER. Something is going on that is really bad. I don't know what it is, but it should not be hurting this bad. And she's not going to be able to take care of it. And he's like, what do you mean the ER? You know? And I said, you know, okay. So he's like, okay. So he kind of like, you know, he's like in the left lane, kind of like speeding into the midwife. And so he kind of like quickly, like, you know, it's like a quarter of a mile, the next exit that we can like get off and still stay in Minneapolis to get to the um, hospital that we were going to go to. And um, so he kind of like swerves into the right lane, quickly takes the exit, you know, and like we get like on these city roads. And like at this point, I'm not really like paying attention to like, what is going on or anything. And James says, well, we need to do something. Like when we get there, what are we going to do with the kids? Because I want to go in with you, you know? And I said, oh, geez, that's right. The kids are here. And then I realized that they're like, I'm like in such a kind of like dire situation type of thing that they are like freaking out in the back seat and they're like crying. And so I was like, okay, I'll call my friend. So I called my friend, I think a couple of times and she didn't answer. And I thought, okay, my cousin, one of my cousins lives close by in like the neighboring city. And um, so I call her and I know she's home and she, and cause she's a teacher and whatever. So I call her and I'm crying and like screaming and saying the F word probably like four times in a row and all of this. And she like, she has no idea anything has been going on the last 24 hours. And so um, she's like, Hey girl, you know, like all happy. And then she hears like what, you know, like my response and I'm crying. I can barely talk to her. And she's like, what's going on, Mindy? You know? And I was like, we're on the way to the ER. I think we're losing the baby. And like, can you come and get the kids? You know? And she's, my kids have grown up around her and she has like her own children and they're really close and stuff. So she said, yeah, which hospital are you going to? I'll be there as soon as I can, you know, blah, blah, blah. So we finally get to the ER. James like pulls up, he helps me like get out. I get into the triage. He goes, you know, I start doing that. He goes, my cousin comes and gets the kids and like in this whole mess, I don't remember. I think I called my mom. James maybe called her and said, like told her what's going on. And they said, okay, dad and I are leaving. They live about an hour and a half away. We're packing up right now. We're leaving. We'll come and get the kid kids from, um, you know, my cousin's house and we'll just take care of the kids. Don't you worry about them. You just go do like what you have to do and let us know what's going on. Okay. So I get into the ER I'm in triage. I said, you know, I said, I think I'm having a miscarriage. Um, so I need, I couldn't get an ultrasound at this other place because of COVID. And then their ears kind of like go up and they're like, do you have COVID? And I'm like, no, but I have this cough. And so it's like, here, you got to put a mask on. And they go through like this whole like COVID thing. And anyway, I finally get back. It's maybe like three o'clock by this point back into the room. Um, I'm on the gurney. I'm like in probably the most pain that I maybe had in my entire life. 
like in the fetal position. I cannot really like talk to anybody. By this point, right at that point, I'm not bleeding really much at all. I'm having just this incredibly intense pain. And the nurse comes in and they start an IV and um, give me some pain medicine, which sort of like takes the edge off, but sort of just makes me feel high and like whatever. And then um, the doctor comes in and kind of like right at shift change. So we had to wait a little bit for him to come in and I'm like kind of half paying attention to him. And he's saying, oh, we have to, you know, we'll get some lab work done. We'll get an ultrasound. You know, I'm really sorry that you're here. He's very kind. And, um, you know, we're going to get you some more pain medicine. I'm going to order it right now. I can see that you're really hurting. And um, so they like doing a great job of like taking care of me. And then I realized I look at um, this doctor's name badge, right? I'm sure he said his name, but I wasn't paying attention. And it, anyway, kind of a interesting sort of like side note is I had worked with his wife in the past um, at one of my previous jobs. And so I said, oh, is your wife so-and-so? And anyway, it was. And so I felt like we sort of had a connection there. And so they do the blood work. They give me more pain medicine. This um, ultrasound tech comes eventually after probably an hour and a half or something, a very long time, comes in and she comes to the door. And by this point, I know what's going on. I know what they're gonna say. I know that they're not gonna find heartbeat and this is sort of like a formality type of thing. So I would think that, <clears throat> excuse me, she would look at sort of like the order that she got and see like the reason for the ultrasound and maybe like, Think about how one should present yourself in a patient's room in that sort of situation. But um, so she comes to the door and, you know, the nurse is in there wearing a mask and, um, you know, they're just trying to be like kind of COVID safe and stuff. And she comes to the door and she looks at the nurse and she's all like snarky and says, do I have to wear a mask too to come in here and do this? And I was like, okay, if you don't want to come in here and do it, then I don't really want you in here. But like, I don't say anything because I'm like on all these like opioids and stuff. And so she comes in, she like doesn't really introduce herself. She doesn't really say what she's doing. She's just kind of like going through the motions and um, which I can kind of like, as a nurse, I probably had been there at times with patients and, but it's such a different experience being on the other end. And so, um, so she doesn't tell us anything. She's spending a really long time like looking around and she says like, well, how many weeks do you think you are? You know, and she's kind of like being rude and stuff. And um, so I tell her, well, I think I'm like around 11, you know, and oh, okay. And she's click, click, click. She finishes it and she said, well, the doctor will get the results and come in and tell you. Okay, so we're waiting, we're waiting. I know what it's gonna be. So the doctor comes back, he sits down, he's very nice and he says, you know, we couldn't find a heartbeat on the ultrasound, you know, you're having a miscarriage. And that's why you're having all this pain. And I said, okay, well, what are we gonna do? And he says, um, well, we have two options, I think for you, probably the best op, we could do a um, DNC, 
right now, but I don't think you really need to do that. Um, or I could give you, I think it's called misoprostol, um, and you can go home and take it when you're ready. And um, then you'll have some heavy bleeding and then that'll be it, kind of like he didn't make it seem like it was a big deal at all. Okay, fine. Well, I guess I'll take that option as opposed to surgery during the beginning of the pandemic. Like that seems like a wise idea. Okay, so he said, I'll write the prescription. I'll give you some pain meds to go home with. Um, and then that was it. So I thought, okay, fine. And still wasn't really bleeding at all. So we get all of our discharge paperwork. This nurse a different nurse than I had had the whole time comes in with the paperwork. He's maybe like 25 or something, a guy, which that's fine. Um, and he says, okay, well, you should go home, take this when you're ready. And then you should expect, you know, some bleeding, but a little bit heavier than your period would have normally be. Um, you know, if it's more than this much, you know, um, you can come back in if you need to, you know, he's really casual about it. So I thought, oh, okay, I haven't had a miscarriage before. Like, I don't know, like what to expect, right? And so, but this is what this guy's telling me. Well, this doesn't sound like it's gonna to be too terrible. So, okay, fine. So take the papers. We decide to fill the prescription at the pharmacy within the hospital. So I like slowly sort of like saunter up there with James. Um, oh, they did let him in, even though they weren't supposed to be letting, um, visitors in because of their COVID precautions. Um, they kind of like snuck him in the side as an exception, I think, which I thought was really incredibly kind of them um, because of the situation. So we saunter up to the pharmacy. I say, I'm here to get my prescription. They said, okay, it's gonna be like five or 10 minutes. Why don't you just take a seat? Okay, fine. So I sit down and um, wait and they finally call me. In. So I go in there. Um, I can be the only person in sort of like this vestibule that they um, have at the counter because of COVID. And so I go in there and I'm standing there and the pharmacy tech is like, okay, well, um, it's going to be, you know, X amount of dollars. Um, how, how would you want to pay? So I like it. I might like purse. I'm like, not really with it because I've had all these drugs and like fumbling for my wallet to pay for it. And he says, do you have any questions, you know? And I stop and he looks at me like a deer in the headlights because I start, I had these intense, intense cramping. I'm standing there and I do have a pad on in my underwear that they, you know, had been changing a little bit in the ER and stuff. And all of a sudden, this gush of blood, I can feel it running down like my thighs. It soaked the pad. And he's looking at me horrified because he can see it like soaking through my pants. And um, I said, oh, my God, I am so sorry. And he's like, are you okay? Do we need to, you know? And I said, I'm having a miscarriage. And I think I'm like, it must be starting or something. I don't know. I and I'm like, I got to go to the bathroom. I don't, I'm, and I leave this trail of blood all over like this kind of blood bath on this flooring in front of the pharmacy counter. And somehow I think James must've paid for it or they were like, here, just take it and we'll bill you later. I don't really know. I like run with my legs sort of like 
scrunched up together somehow I get he's like well there's a bathroom just around the corner so I like get in there I had a couple of pads in my purse that the ER had given me so I go in there and I'm like oh wow this is like a decent amount of blood okay we better like get home you know and so I like change it and like but my pants are like full of it right and I of course didn't bring a change of clothes or anything with me so I'm like, well, whatever. So we go, um, I get out and like try and clean up the best I can. It's like in my like slipper shoes that I had like happened to be in when we had left earlier and it was just a mess. And the only thing I could think of is I just want to be at my house where like people aren't seeing me bleed all over and um, I want to get out of these clothes. I want to shower. I want to just like get away from here. So we have the meds and we're like walking out and um, I didn't really like notice, um, you know, this elderly man was sitting sort of like waiting for his own prescription, I guess, um, after being in the ER. Cause by now it's like after hours, it's maybe six o'clock or something. And so there's a few like staff trickling like through, but it's not like very busy, but this man says he, um, was a um, older Somali man, and he, um, as we walked past, he says something to the effect of, I'm really sorry what's happening um, to you guys. You know, I hope, like, God blesses you in the future and stuff, And because I think he had been seeing and hearing what had been going on the last few minutes and stuff. So anyway, we... Um, get through the hospital, you know, we have to like traverse through half of the hospital, it seems like, um, and I'm standing outside the ER door, and um, James went to go get the van, and I'm standing there, and like, oh God, just come quickly, I just want to be home, I just want to be home, and um, I'm crying, and then like this pain is just so intense, so I'm like, doubled over outside the um, ER entrance kind of like to the side but and I see James pulling up in the sort of like turn around and um, all of a sudden I stand up and James like you know is getting out of the van to come like help me get in and I stand up and it was had this really intense cramp and an intense, a huge amount of blood just and clots just gushes out of me. And I'm like panicking. And I think in my um, clear headed state and without all of the emotions and like the medication that I was on, the most logist, like logical thing to do would have been to turn around and walk back into the ER. I'm right outside the ER and I'm like losing an incredible amount of like clots are like coming. Like this is really kind of probably gross, but um, stuck like between my leg and like these yoga pants that I happened to be wearing that day. And, but in my mind, you know, I'm just so fixated on, I want to get home. I want to get home. I want to get home. And I want to be in my own house to deal with this. And, you know, my parents, I knew by this point were at our house with the kids and I just want to be like, have my mom help me and all this. And um, so I get in the van 
and we drive home and I call my mom and say we're on the way home and you know there's a lot of blood mom I don't know they said it was going to be like quite a bit of blood but you know I don't know and she's like honey I don't know either I've never had a miscarriage and you know all this and it's like I'm sitting in the van and it's like kind of pooling between my legs and I can feel just like clots coming out like one right after the other but I'm like I don't you know James is panicking he's not a medical person at all he works in the business world and he's kind of panicking he's driving like probably way too fast and he just wants to get home because my mom is also a nurse and he's like I think we just need to be with your mom your mom will know what to do and because my head is just not in like what the like smartest wisest thing to do is at this point so we get home we pull up in our alley. We have like a little parking space off the alley. My mom comes flying out of the house. She's got towels. Um, and because I told her, there's so much blood, you're going to have to get some of our bath towels. Um, so she comes out. I jam these towels between my legs as I'm like trying to waddle into the house. I'm kind of like getting lightheaded. And she's like, we need to just get you laying down. I think you know, like you just had too much movement, like that sort of thing. So the way our house is situated, the back has a um, like dining, kind of like an eat-in kitchen space in the back there. Well, it's dinner time and my parents were having, happened to be having dinner with my kids at this time. So they, I come into the house. I am really like a sight to be seen at this point. There's like blood all over. I have towels like between my legs. I'm crying. I'm like semi hysterical. And here are my kids, like, they look like they're going to, you know, I don't know how to describe that look, but they're sitting there with my dad. You know, my mom's like helping me. And um, they're like speechless, like this deer in the headlight look, like looking at mom, like we're watching our mother die or something. I don't know. And after all everything finished and, and afterwards, we had a lot of talks with them about sort of, it was very traumatic for them to see their mama like in such a difficult space. Um, so I get um, in the house and kind of like past them and I hear my dad trying to like distract them like, oh, should we, let's play games with grandpa or like, should we watch a movie and you know, stuff like that. And so. Um, I'm like, I just, I need to get these clothes off. I want to get in the shower. Um, so I get in the shower um, and I'm in the shower. It's more bleeding, more clots, but I'm like, I just want to be like cleaned off. And my mom's like getting my bed, like already. She's like, we'll just get you in bed when you're done there. I'm getting kind of like dizzy and lightheaded in the shower. So she's like, okay, get out. She like dries me off. We get likes and she's like, do you have pads in your house? And I'm like, well, not really, you know, like I wasn't planning for this. And okay. So we kind of like put on like what I like get like these humongous underwear <laughs> that I have on with like, she puts all these pads in there. Okay. So I lay down and she's like, I need to get to target. Um, this is going to be a long night. Um, you don't have enough supplies here. And before they close, you know, they've been closing early because of COVID. She's like, I need to get over there. So, you know, James is here. Call me if there's a problem, you know? Okay. So she pops out to target gets like basically one step short of like adult, um, 
like incontinence briefs type of thing. And um, she comes home. So we, I'm just laying in bed, like crying and talking with mom and James and all of that. My kids eventually go to bed, um, laying here and like the bleeding slows down a little bit as I'm laying here. I do end up taking at some point some of the Percocet they had given me because the pain was still fairly intense. Um, the misoprostol, I take that, which in hindsight was a really bad idea, but I'm like, well, that's what he said to do. I don't know what I'm, you know, I'm just trying to follow what the doctor said I should do. So take all of that. The bleeding had been slowing down like minimally. Then I think when the misoprostol kicked in, um, it started back up again. And like my mom's changing these enormous pads, um, probably about every 15 to 20 minutes, they're saturating with blood and clots. And she's pulling clots like the size of, you know, from golf balls to like large oranges, like out of me. Right. And, um, like with different, you know, she had gotten some like baby wipes and stuff. And so doing that and probably like around 10 or 11, she was like, Mindy, this doesn't, I would have thought, you know, maybe this would have been like slowing down by now. This is like a little concerning. I don't, did they give you like a number to call or anything? And I'm like, well, they said we could just come back in or give them a call. And she's like, I think you ought to call them. Okay. So we like somehow fumble through all the paperwork, get the number, call the ER. And they were like, well, if you're essentially, if you're concerned, you should come back in. I was like, I don't want to go back to the hospital. I don't want to go back to the ER. I just don't want to. I just want to be here. I'm sure it'll be fine. You know, I just, but then another hour progressed and I'm like, I'm getting really lightheaded and like, I just really do not feel good. And the bleeding hadn't slowed down. So we decided um, you need to go back to the ER. And in hindsight, we probably should have called the ambulance. But again, we're not thinking super clearly at this point. So um, they get me sort of like get some like I slipped into some like jammies and it's March outside right so it's kind of cold so I get like some James's like old sweatpants like a big sweatshirt on and I'm like I don't even care and I put like the pad on and then I have because James's sweatpants are so much larger than I am um I roll up a towel and like we somehow made it out to the van um, with this towel between my legs I put on his like huge um, like Carhartt jacket and like a little beanie and get out there I'm really lightheaded the whole way out there I'm like I'm gonna pass out honey I'm gonna pass out I'm so lightheaded I have low blood pressure anyway and so we get out there and I'm like laying as flat as possible in the van with this towel between my legs and we're only you know like maybe 10-ish, 15 at the most minutes from the hospital that we were going to. He's driving like crazy to get there. And the whole time in my head, and I'm like chanting in my head and kind of like chanting out loud, just stay awake and alive until you get there, Mindy. Just stay awake, stay awake. Because I really thought that I was like going to go unconscious on the way because of the volume of blood loss that I was going to be unconscious when he like en route to the ER. And I'm like, stay awake, stay awake. And in my mind, I'm thinking if I can still talk, then I'm awake, right? I'm still conscious. And so, um, so, um, 
we finally get there. He's like racing into the ER thing, slams it in park, runs around, is helping me get out. We get up to like the first sort of like entryway. And there's, so by this point, it's maybe like midnight. Um, and there's this security officer sitting at the booth and he's like, uh, which one of you is the patient? Which should seem pretty obvious, but you know, okay, whatever. Um, so I said, oh, I am, you know, and he's like, okay, well, sir, you can help her in, but then you have to leave immediately. And he's like, well, yeah, but she's like bleeding really badly. And like, I'm her husband. And he was like, nope no visitors she can't have we can't have anybody in here and he was like but we were here like earlier like just like six hours ago and he's like i'm sorry sir you know and so they like go this and i was like okay bye honey and like i give him like a little kiss and i like walk into triage you know by this point the nurses are coming out with the um wheelchair and so i sit down in that and james leaves and so he goes out like you know, he just has to leave me. So I have like nobody. I'm totally alone. Like they're like wheel me in. And James goes out to the parking lot. I find out after the fact, he's like texting and I think calling my um, closest friend um, who we had been kind of keeping up to date this whole time. And um, so that was good because at least he had sort of like some support, but he's like sitting out in the parking ramp in the van with it running to stay warm. And like, you know, he told me after the fact, you know, he's like, well, maybe that was the last time I was going to see you. I wasn't sure like what was going on. And so I'm inside at triage. I eventually like get back. They put me into a different room. Um, they try to start IVs. They're having a really hard time. They obviously like need to give me fluids because I've lost so much. Um, I hear them, you know, they finally get an IV and give me a ton of fluids. Um, you know, I'm a nurse and so that's like a blessing and a curse. So like, I kind of know like what they should be doing to help me. But also when I see like what my blood pressure is and like I hear them talking sort of like medical speak around me, I sort of like understand sort of like the, what they're talking about and what all of that means and the fallout of all of that, you know. And so um, they give me the fluids, give me pain medicine. They say, you need another, um, we need to do a pelvic exam. And I said, I don't know why you need to do a pelvic exam. We obviously know that the baby is lost. I don't know why you need to be up in there um, and you need to have an ultrasound. Okay, so they come in and do this pelvic exam. By this point, the nurse had put adult um, diapers on me because I was still bleeding so much. And they were like, well, you might have to have surgery if we can't get this bleeding to stop soon you we might have to take you back for surgery to do a dnc and if it's really bad you know we might have to do a hysterectomy type of thing and so i'm like really distressed about like all of that like sort of waiting in the wings and um then uh so they do the pelvic exam do an ultrasound and they pull out a bunch of clots and they say well we think it should slow down but you're not um like you can't go home you need to stay in the hospital so okay so i end up staying in the hospital um for two nights while they watched my hemoglobin i ended up not having to have the surgery um at that point and um i end up in the oncology unit because i said i'm terrified of covid i don't want to get covid with all of this going on and um so i get up to the room they're all very kind i 
end up through the course of those two overnights getting lots of pokes watching my hemoglobin I think a couple three more pelvic exams I had all of these like clots that I guess were getting stuck in my cervix and that's why I was having so much pain and um, all of sort of these like problems so eventually they get that sort of like taken care of they decide you don't have to have the surgery my hemoglobin once they get all these like clots out which let me tell you that is incredibly uncomfortable and painful to have them like opening your cervix and like pulling clots out through them but um i wish in hindsight that i would have just insisted they do the dnc so i could have could have been put out for all of that so they eventually decide that um, you know I'm alone in the hospital this whole time I can FaceTime with James but nobody can come and see me no nothing I'm there all by myself um, having all of these like miserable things being done and um, they eventually decide you're ready to go home so by now it's Sunday morning um, James comes and picks me up and I thought okay this is finally the end of it we're gonna go home I can like start physically recovering my hemoglobin and dropped from 14 down to seven. Um, I can start my physical recovery and then like emotionally I can maybe just start to process all this. I want to be with my kids, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So we get home. I'm feeling pretty good despite everything that has just happened. Um, and the rest of Sunday kind of, I just lay in the, in my room or on the couch or something eat like a tiny bit I hadn't been allowed to eat for most of the time I was in the hospital because they were kind of keeping me um, without eating in case I needed to have this surgery sort of like um, immediately type of thing and so um, I get home feel pretty good the rest of Sunday Monday I wake up feel decent but as the day progressed I'm like man I just am not feeling I thought I should be feeling better by now type of thing and so um go on with Monday the midwives have been trying to call me through all this so I call them and kind of update them and they're very kind and um empathetic and giving me suggestions to sort of help me like heal my body quickly more quickly and like all of that sort of thing so um I go to bed Monday night and I'm like, man, I'm just not feeling good. If I don't feel good in the morning, I don't, you know, or tonight, I wonder if we need to go back. I'm telling this to James, like, I just thought I should feel better. I don't sleep really much at all Monday night. Um, the bleeding had, for the most part, stopped. Excuse me. And um, then I get up Tuesday morning after, well, get up. I didn't really sleep, but, you know, it's maybe six, seven in the morning. I finally get out of bed. And I have this incredible migraine headache, just incredible. I am like feeling really, really terrible. Just like, not like a fever, but just like, I don't know, am I getting an infection? Like what is going on? So I tell James, we need to, by this point, my mom had left on Monday evening, I think. And um, so we have nobody to stay with the kids. He's like, well, what are we going to do? And I said, we well, need to call your mom and see she lives about 20 minutes away and see if she can get here as soon as possible. And when she gets here, we need to go back to the ER. Something is not right with me. So she gets here. 
he takes me one more time back to the same ER and I'm like telling my whole story. I'm still not feeling good. You know, I think something is going on. So get back into a different room this time. They try and start an IV, do a pelvic exam again. Um, and she says, well, it looks fine. I'm not really sure what the problem is. You know, maybe it's just your recovery. And I was like, no, something is definitely not right right now. And they do another ultrasound, like the abdominal one, and then the vaginal one. And then the report for that comes back and they have um, what they call retained products of conception, I guess. So some tissue in there that had not come out and was starting to, you know, if left in there, it could get infected and help you know, just make you feel really crummy. So um, I had had a little bit to eat before we went. And so they had the OB called the OB and the OB says, well, she should just have a DNC. We need to be done with this. She's had a really long go of it. We just need to like go and make sure everything is fine in there so I can see in there and all of that. So she comes to see me get booked for surgery. She's really, really kind. She is walking through everything about you know, she said, was this a planned pregnancy? And oh yeah, we've been wanting this baby for a long time, you know, and um, she's very, very kind and empathetic. And um, she said, explain everything she was going to do. And okay, so I have the surgery about like four, four or five o'clock, something like that on that day, that Tuesday and have the surgery. Um, I ended up aspirating during the surgery, so I ended up having to stay longer. I had bleeding after the DNC, so they had to give me a bunch of meds to stop that. So the surgery ended up being, you know, two or three times longer than it needed to be. I had to stay in recovery for longer because I had aspirated, which is um, uh, some of my saliva had went into my lungs, and so they needed to watch me during the intubation that happened, um, and so they need to watch me longer. So finally, it's, you know, nine, 10 o'clock at night or something like that. I don't even know. James comes to get me. We go home and then we get home and I just kind of like get tucked into bed. And then from there, then I think, you know, it was finally done. Like it had completed that surgery, had taken out all of the tissue and then, yeah, so that's kind of my story. I, it took a long time to recover to build my hemoglobin back up. They had wanted to give me a transfusion. I refused to do that. Um, so it just took a long time. But, um, you know, and then it, we went in. My kids were home from school. It was the lockdown, you know, the stay-at-home order and all of that. And so it was just kind of in ways good that we were just – like our little family, my mom and my mother-in-law were here helping us with the kids for several days afterwards because I had a hard time being standing up so I was so dizzy and all of that. But I did eventually recover and um, physically, I think this the rest of the spring with all of the distance learning with my kids and then we went into summer and I think as the summer has progressed, the emotional piece of it is kind of like catching up with me a little bit. And so I finally decided that it's time for me to get seek out some therapy. And so I'm going to be starting that in the next few days here and try and sort of process some of that. So uh, yeah, that's a lot of trauma. 
girl, you went, yeah. and you so went a lot. I, you know, you hear, and I've heard on other people that have been on your podcast, other women um, say like, oh, a miscarriage is just like a heavy period. And I'm like, well, maybe for some people, Yeah. <laughs> but like, this is like, I think I might like actually die, die. Blood loss, mm -hmm. you know? And so Which I think I've heard so many girls on here say too. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, it's every story so different. And it's just, it's crazy what can happen during a miscarriage and you don't really hear about these things. No. And I think, so that's part of why I wanted to come on here to just sort of like normalize, I guess, not yeah. that it's something any of us ever want to go through, but normalize like, okay, it's not just like, well, you're going to have a heavy period and then you'll just move on with your life. You know, like it can be like, there can be trauma in it and there can be, it can be really life-threatening, life-threatening and, um, yeah. And all of that, you know, so now it's like, okay, now with therapy, I can sort of like unpack some of this like physical trauma that I like went through, but also like the emotional trauma of the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah. Oh, goodness. So. Well, I always like to ask at the end of every episode, if you have one piece of advice for somebody in a similar situation, what would it be? Um, I don't know that like I have advice per se, but if it would be okay, um, I'd like to read a little, um, blurb, I guess that a friend had sent to me shortly afterwards that had been very helpful for me. Yeah. Awesome. That would be okay. It's, um, I started following him. His name is young Pueblo on Instagram. I think he's a like deep thought meditator type of guy. And, um, okay, so I'll read it. It says, sometimes the end is sudden and you are left without closure, heartbroken and unprepared for such a sharp change. For a while, you live with a mind that is half there and half full of regret, wondering, what if? For a while, your heart only feels grief and your mind only sees gray. Sorry. And then life starts to call you back into its arena of possibility. It reminds you that all is not lost and that even though a chapter ended, there is still a longer story to be told. With time and intention, wounds lose their heaviness. Healing feel, fills the tough parts of your being and you awaken the light of love within yourself. In time, you will return fully into the precious now with a heart that feels refreshed and open to a new connection. So that was, I read that many, many times. And so really good. Yes. I appreciate you sharing that with us. Um, if somebody wants to reach out to you, where could they do so? Um, I'm on um, Instagram would be fine. Um, I'm not on there a whole ton and it is a private account. It's at mom and her three. Um, but I'd be happy to connect with anyone on there if they would find that helpful. Um, yeah. Awesome. And I'll link that in the description of this episode. Thank you so much. And who did you say? Young Pueblo? Is Pueblo. That I think it's P-U-E-B-L-O. -E okay. If you search him on Instagram, he's on there. Okay, cool. Yep. And young is Y-U-N-G. Y-U-N-G. Okay. Mm -hmm.
Awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate you jumping on and sharing so vulnerably. It's going to help so many people. And that's what this podcast is all about. So I'm just so happy that you felt the pull to share. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. We'll we'll talk soon. Okay. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it with a friend who could find it useful or share it on your Instagram stories. Tag myself, tag my guest so that we can personally thank you. This is a lamb fam, you guys. We're not in this alone. We're creating this ripple effect together. 